So the title for the message this afternoon is The Great Controversy Unmasked. And I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 16. And we are going to pick it up in verse 12. And before I do that, I'm just going to say a word of prayer myself just so that um, I always like to pray as I begin a message. So let's just ask the Lord to be with us as we begin our meeting this afternoon. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the beautiful Sabbath that we've had. I just pray that you will speak through me this afternoon, that what is said will make sense and will be helpful to all who listen. So thank you for this time we have. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Revelation chapter 16, verse 12 is the beginning of the sixth plague. Now, the seven last plagues occur after probation has closed. And you go through the plagues and you see in the first plague that a grievous sore falls upon those who had the mark of the beast. In the second plague, you have the sea turning into blood. In the third plague, the rivers turn into blood. In the fourth plague, you um, see scorching heat. In the fifth plague, um, or actually, you have the fourth plague, you have um, the sun is scorches men with fire. Yes, and that's the scorching heat. And then the fifth plague is the darkness. And then the darkness becomes so intense that um, the darkness leads to cold. And it says the men nod their tongues for pain. It's like they're frostbitten. And so by the time the sixth plague is poured out in chapter, chapter 16, verse 12, it says the great... The, the, this plague is poured out upon the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates is the river that flows through Babylon. Um, now, we don't believe that this plague is referring to the literal river Euphrates and that the literal river Euphrates that flows through the modern country of Iraq is going to dry up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. This is clearly symbolic language. And there's this application to the fall of ancient Babylon when Cyrus diverted the river Euphrates and that led to the fall of ancient Babylon and Cyrus and Darius were the kings of the east that came and led to the fall of ancient Babylon, but the kings of the east this time are referring to the Father and the Son, who are the kings of the east, and we understand that the coming of Christ is from the east. But the river Euphrates dries up. Now, in the very next chapter, we are told what water symbolizes in chapter 17, verse 15. So the river Euphrates dries up, but the river Euphrates, what does water represent? represents people. And a river in Bible times or historically, a river is the source of support and life to that to the territory through which it flows. So the river Euphrates represents 
the source of support and life for Babylon at the end of the world. And when the river Euphrates dries up in the sixth plague, what's happening is after five plagues, the people who have received the mark of the beast, because they've wondered after the beast, they followed the message of Babylon, they've experienced what Babylon wants them to experience, they've honored Sunday, they've worshiped on Sunday, and so they've received the mark of the beast, and now they're receiving the plagues, and at the beginning of the sixth plague, the source for Babylon is drying up, meaning that the people are saying, hey, we're on the losing team here. This didn't work out. We thought that we were saving ourselves because we wouldn't be able to buy or sell and we might lose our lives. So we either got the mark of the beast in our forehead or in our hand. Forehead, we went right along with it. Or in the hand, we didn't really want to, but we did it anyway because the hand represents your actions. What your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Your hand represents your actions. So even if you didn't agree with it intellectually, you did it anyway. And so those who went along and received the mark of the beast after the five plagues have been poured out, they're like, we're on the losing team. And so the river Euphrates dries up. Babylon sees its source of support. Water represents people. And the river Euphrates represents the people of Babylon who have received the mark of the beast. And now they're churning against Babylon in the sixth plague. And this is just before the Battle of Armageddon in the seventh plague. And so the river Euphrates dries up. Jesus is about to come back. And Babylon is not going to go down without a fight because the, the Battle of Armageddon has not yet taken place. And Satan is not going to go into the battle of Armageddon, which pits God's people against the people of Babylon, without making sure that he shores up his support, meaning that the people who have received the mark of the beast, he's going to make sure that he brings them back in under the fold. And, you know, sometimes people get confused. They're like, well, why would the three unclean spirits not appear until the sixth plague when probation has already closed by the time the first plague has been poured out. And the reason is Satan realizes that he's about to lose everything. The great controversy is on the line and he's got to make sure that he shores up his support for the final battle, the battle of Armageddon just before Jesus returns. And he's holding out a faint hope when these three unclean spirits show up that he will be able to still ensnare God's people onto his side. And so this is what happens here in the sixth plague. So verse 13 says, I th saw three unclean spirits like frogs. So this occurs after the river Euphrates dries up. So when the people of Babylon begin to turn against Babylon, then we see three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, when have we seen frogs in plagues elsewhere in Scripture? Yeah, in the Egyptian plagues. Now, there's something interesting about the plague of frogs in the Egyptian plagues. Do you know what's significant about the plague of frogs in the Egyptian plagues? Yeah. 
the frogs were the last of the plagues that the Egyptian magicians were able to reproduce. And so what's happening here in the sixth plague, the three unclean spirits like frogs, what God is telling us is, hey, remember the Egyptian plagues? That's the last time that the Egyptian magicians could reproduce what what God was doing, and they weren't really reproducing it. It was through magic, of course, and it wasn't the real thing. It was through magic. This is God's way of telling us that when this happens, this is Satan's last time that he can produce something supernaturally for the purpose of deception. Now, here's the interesting thing. Everybody is already settled in to salvation or being lost at this point. It's the sixth plague. Probation has closed by the first plague. And now we have these three unclean spirits. But the reason why Satan is using deception one last time is because he's got to shore up his support. The river Euphrates is drying up, so he's got to get the river running again, so to speak. Um, to make it look like Babylon is still the place to be. So we have that going on. But there's also the element that in this last supernatural deception, Satan still is holding out hope that just before the battle of Armageddon, by producing this supernatural deception through the three unclean spirits, he will still win the battle of Armageddon. And if he wins the battle of Armageddon, he will win the great controversy. And so this is, is a key moment in the plague. So I, thought, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of three specific powers, out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Well, what's the battle of that great day of God Almighty? That's Armageddon. And that battle takes place in the seventh plague. So the sixth plague is the final preparation for the battle of Armageddon. And as Seventh-day Adventists, I think we understand pretty clearly who these three unclean spirits are. They're the spirits of devils or demons, as the Greek translates it. You can translate it devils or demons. And when we look at these three powers, they come out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are unclean spirits like frogs. So out of every one of these powers, we see an unclean spirit like a frog. And it's coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So the dragon, Revelation 12 verse 9 tells us is the, the, that the dragon is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now, in this particular context, we identify the dragon as representing the power of spiritualism. Because spiritualism goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden because Satan is the dragon. He's the old serpent. And the serpent said to Eve, has God really said that you will die? 
you shall not surely die. And so we've historically taught, and this is correct, and I'm not contra I'm just saying this is what we believe, that the dragon here in Revelation 16:13 represents the power of spiritualism, and it's a satanic power because the dragon represents Satan, and Satan manifests himself through spiritualism. And then we understand that the beast power is described in Revelation 13, especially verses 1 through 10, as the beast that comes up from the sea. It has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. We understand historically that this is the power that worked during the 1260 years. This is the Roman Catholic Church state power. And what makes the beast the beast is that it was a union of church and state with the church in control of the state. So when you see the image to the beast in Revelation 13, the image is that which the beast looks like, and the, what the beast looks like in Revelation 13 is a union of church and state. So when you have the, the dragon, that's spiritualism, you have the beast, that's the Roman Catholic church state power, you have those powers, and then the third unclean spirit, or the third power, you have this unclean spirit like a frog coming out of the mouth of the false prophet. And the false prophet we find in Revelation chapter 19 verse 20. And it becomes very clear, clear who the false prophet is. And I think most of you know this. I'm just giving you some review. But Revelation 19 verse 20 says, And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Well, what power worked miracles in the sight of the beast? In Revelation 13, we see this very clearly that you have the second beast of Revelation 13 that comes up out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb. He speaks like a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast. And and then in verse 13 it says, He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This is apostate Protestant America. Now, why do I say that? Just to make things very clear here. The first beast of Revelation 13 has seven heads, ten horns, and he has crowns on the horns, showing that the monarchical powers of the territory with it with where the beast resided were in harmony with this religious power but the second beast has two horns like a lamb there's no crowns and that shows that 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 the state and the church are separate and the two horns are, are like a lamb, meaning it's a Christian-like nation. And, and whereas the first beast is clearly the Roman Catholic Church state power, it's a professed Christian power, the second power actually starts off as a Christian nation. It has two horns like a lamb. And those two horns, the, a horn in Bible prophecy represents that which gives a nation its power because a beast is a kingdom. And that which gave this kingdom power is civil and religious liberty. Those are the principles of Christianity. And so when we say that this is the false prophet, we're saying this is a religious entity that should be Christian, but it becomes a false prophet and it speaks as a dragon. So we have three unclean spirits. 
we have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The dragon represents Satan as specifically represented by spiritualism. And then you have the Roman Catholic Church state power, which is the beast. And then you have apostate Protestant America, which is the false prophet. That's what we've always understood as Seventh-day Adventists. And I just gave you a brief review for why we believe that. And again, the title of my message today is The Great Controversy Unmasked. Here's something that I want you to think about. As Seventh-day Adventists, we try to keep up with what is happening prophetically in the modern world. And we will identify powers that we believe are working against the prophetic interests of Seventh-day Adventists, and then we'll say, whatever you do, make sure that you vote to get those guys out of office because they are working against our interests. Now, there may be a time and a place for that to be true. But what I'm going to suggest to you today is that there's a reason why Ellen White said we cannot with safety vote for political parties. And I'm going to show you why. I'm going to start off by talking about the power of spiritualism. This is represented by the dragon. So you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, let's talk a little bit about spiritualism. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we say, oh yeah, I can tell you what spiritualism is. Spiritualism is the teaching that mainline Christian churches teach, and that is that when the dead die, they go straight to heaven or hell. And we know as Seventh-day Adventists, based on multiple Bible verses, that the dead know nothing, they know not anything, that they are in the grave, that David's sepulcher is with us to this day because he's resting in the grave waiting until Jesus comes. Death is like a sleep. And I would say absolutely we believe that. And if you believe that someone goes straight to heaven and they're looking down on us, that that is a form of spiritualism. Yes, that's true. But spiritualism encompasses a lot more than that. And that's where, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have to watch out. And that's what I want to talk about this afternoon, a little bit. I'm going to read to you a statement from Education, page 227. So what we're doing is we're looking at these three unclean spirits, and we're looking at how they're going to work together to lead to the final crisis. And what they will do during the sixth plague of the seven last plagues. Education, page 227. Spiritualism asserts that men are unfallen demigods. So it's like they're like half gods, in a sense. That each mind will judge itself. That true knowledge places men above all law. That all sins committed are innocent. Have you ever heard teachings like that? And then notice this. This is a form of spiritualism. For whatever is, is right. If it feels good, do it. If you believe it, it's true. Whatever is, is right. If you believe something to be true, it is true because you believe it's true. It's your truth. So instead of believing the truth as it is in Jesus, your truth trumps the truth. That's spiritualism. And when you look at the three unclean spirits, those three are going to work in harmony during the sixth plague to make sure that everybody who's already received the mark of the beast stays in 
the camp of Satan. And Satan doesn't care which camp you are in. He doesn't care if he gets you through spiritualism or through the beast power or through the false prophet. He just wants to get you through one of those three entities. And so let's keep looking at this. So spiritualism teaches that whatever is, is right, and God doth not condemn. The basest of human beings it represents as in heaven and highly exalted there. Thus it declares to all men it matters not what you do. Live as you please. Heaven is your home. And that man is accountable only to himself. And Ellen White goes on to say, With such teaching given at the very outset of life, when impulse is strongest and the demand for self-restraint and purity is most urgent, where are the safeguards of virtue? What is to prevent the world from becoming a second Sodom? At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law. So anarchy, and means without, archy means rule. So anarchy means let's just get, array, get, get rid of all rule, all power, whatever you want to call it. Let's get rid of um, the police, for example. At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law. Not only divine, but human. So we're not just talking about attacking the law of God. We're talking about getting rid of common sense laws of the land. Now listen to this statement. The centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot, and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution. All are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. Such are the influences to be met by the youth of today to stand amidst such upheavals they are now to lay the foundations of character. So listen to this carefully. You may be saying, so what are we doing talking about the French Revolution and anarchy and what does this have to do? This is all connected to spiritualism. And spiritualism teaches that the knowledge of men places you above all law. That human intellect is smarter than the laws of men and the laws of God. And that whatever is, is right. God's not going to condemn you. And based on all of that, this leads to the idea that we don't need law, we don't need rule. Anarchy would be better than to have people telling us how we should live. And so laws are swept away and you see riot and bloodshed and you say, well, where's that spirit coming from? Well, it's coming from the mouth of the dragon. And the French Revolution personifies this spirit of spiritualism that happened back in France, and Revelation 11 tells us about this power. In verse 7 of Revelation 11, at the end of the 1260 years, you see a beast ascending out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit in the Greek means abusos, and you see the bottomless pit in the book of Revelation several times. This represents the arsenal of Satan, or it represents a satanic power. And so France, when it comes up out of the bottomless pit towards the end of the 1260 years, you have the French Revolution. I shouldn't say France comes up. It's this power that comes up 
that is represented by the French Revolution, so it took place in France. France had been in existence for centuries. But the, the people of France imbibed the philosophy of this beast from the bottomless pit, which was embodied in the spirit of the French Revolution. Now, what's the spirit of the French Revolution? There were three guiding principles to it. And if you listen to these three guiding principles, they actually sound pretty good. Liberty, equality, and fraternity. Now, what's wrong with that? I mean, they're espousing liberty for all. They're espousing fraternity, that there would be a brotherhood, so to speak, in the nation. And they were pushing for equality. Now, who's opposed to equality? What's wrong with equality? Now, here's the interesting thing. Right at the same time that the French Revolution came onto the scene, you also had the American Revolution, which was based on the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the French Revolution placed an emphasis on equality, and the American Revolution placed an emphasis on liberty. Both revolutions promoted the separation of church and state, but the American Revolution promoted separation of church and state that still was friendly toward the church and encouraged the people of the land to attend church and to receive the value that came from attending church, but they did so in a way where the churches of the land would not indoctrinate the policies of the country. There would be an underguiding or an undergirding principle of, of Christianity that would guide the nation, but there wouldn't be a sectarian theology that would drive the principles by which the nation operated. So in the American Revolution, you have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and liberty is the guiding principle, and worship in church was encouraged, but there wasn't a specific religion that was promoted or a denomination, so to speak. In France, liberty was promoted and fraternity was promoted, but equality was the key guiding principle to the revolution. And what ended up happening was you didn't really end up having liberty because you know, Robespierre starts the revolution and he eventually had his head chopped off in the guillotine too. So, so much for liberty. And there was separation of church and state in France, and it was a hostile separation. And this is something that happens in spiritualism. They say, oh, well, we've got to separate church from state, and it's a hostile separation. And what the, those who promote the principles that you see from the French Revolution, they say, well, we believe in separation of church and state in America, and that's true. But we did not believe in a hostile separation of church and state where the beliefs of Christianity were um, denigrated at the beginning of, of the rise of our country. But Christianity was not necessarily placed into the Constitution, but the principles of Christianity were seen throughout society. Whereas in France, the principles of Christianity were completely destroyed. It's like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And if you aren't with us, and we know you're against us, we're going to take you out, and we'll just set up the guillotine, and your head will chop off. Now, that's not really liberty. That's coercion. And so... 
when we look at these three unclean spirits, it's interesting to me that we see things happening in the world around us. Now, look, we, we look at um, the other two powers, and I want to be very clear here that, yes, there's the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So the dragon is represented by spiritualism. The beast represents the Roman Catholic Church state power, and, and the false prophet represents apostate Protestant America. And here's what I, I certainly saw when I came through here in Loma Linda, and I've seen this even before I came here, was like, well, hey, as long as we're not in league with the Roman Catholic Church state power, and as long as we keep an arm's length from apostate Protestant America, let's just, you know, bring into our nation um, those who are against apostate Protestant America and those who are against the Roman Catholic Church state power, and if they're against God altogether, well, hey, at least we can find we, we can find freedom with them because they're not going to care what we believe as Seventh-day Adventists. And if you've been paying attention at all in the last five years, you know that's not true. Now, I'm not here to say by any means that you should be aligning yourselves with any political party. All I'm saying is if that you thought you were going to find refuge with the political left, you have have been in for a rude awakening if you're paying attention to what's happening in the world these days. Because the left is going to hate us as much as anybody when they know what we believe. And if you don't believe me, just see what happened to Dr. Eric Walsh a few years ago. And he got persecuted for what he was preaching about in his church on Sabbath. And they tried to dig up dirt on him by saying, well, let's see if he said anything that we don't like. And they found his sermons on the Internet. And he was persecuted for what he was saying in church. And, you know, the United States Constitution says that we have the free exercise of religion. He wasn't even saying this at work. This was nothing that was said in the workplace. He was an exemplary worker as a public health officer. This was simply what he said for his personal beliefs as a preacher in a Seventh-day Adventist church, and he was persecuted for saying those things. Now, all you have to do is, is um, substitute what he said about biblical issues with respect to LGBT issues and, and a variety of other things, you substitute, substitute that for the Sabbath issue and you have the final crisis. And it wasn't the religious right that was coming after Dr. Walsh. It was the secular left. Now, that doesn't mean, let me make this very clear, that does not mean that you're going to find refuge with a religious right, because guess what? I'm hearing some people say, hey, you know what? Look at what the left is doing right now. Look how dangerous they are. Look at how they're destroying our freedoms. Look at the totalitarian nature and the authoritarianism that they're bringing into our country. Look at how awful this is. This is dragon-like talk. Well, guess what? Of course it is because they come out of the mouth of the dragon. That's spiritualism. And spiritualism espouses the principles that the leftists articulate starting all the way back at the French Revolution. So if you're paying attention prophetically, that shouldn't be a big surprise. 
of course what the left is going to say is coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of Satan. And if you think that you're in, in a good, safe place with the Democratic Party, sorry, but they have, their power comes from Satan, okay? That's what they are. But if you think you're going to find refuge with the beast or the false prophet, wrong again. And the beast power is the beast power. It's the Roman Catholic Church state power. And the false prophet represents apostate Protestant America, which is the religious right in America. So as Seventh-day Adventists, it just amazes me how much we fight with each other over the political powers in America when they're all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just trying to tell you that no, no one power is better than the other. Now, there might be particular issues where you might be able to identify with and say this is going to be better for us as a people at this particular time. But remember, the end game is not going to be, you're not going to find safety with that particular political party. Because these are three unclean spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are historicists. We look at history and prophecy and inter interpret current events through that framework. Now, let me read to you a statement that you've heard many times, but you may not have thought of it in this context. This is Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are seen to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. Well, we've heard that last sentence a thousand times. But have you ever thought about what it means for the agencies of evil to be combining their forces and consolidating? Listen, when I look at the sixth plague, I, three, I see three unclean spirits like frogs that come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the false prophet. And what that tells me is, is that when we get to the very end, and this is after probation is already closed, and we've reached the sixth plague, and Jesus is about to come, the battle of Armageddon is about to take place, spiritualism and apostate Protestantism and the Roman Catholic Church state power combine their forces working together in harmony because guess who they all work for? Satan. Now, a lot of those people don't realize that right now. That's why when we give the loud cry message, God has his people in those churches. And God says to those people, come out of her, my people. But the power that guides those movements and those forces is a satanic power. And a lot of those people in those movements don't even realize who's guiding it. And the reality, though, is, is that there's a lot of people in those churches that are better Christians than a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. So don't get me wrong. We need to reach those people. But as Seventh-day Adventists, if we think that we're going to find safety in any of those three powers, we're deceiving ourselves. You know, it makes no sense to cozy up to the dragon of spiritualism or modern leftism to spite the beast or the false prophet. It makes no sense to cozy up to the false prophet of, a pro of apostate Protestantism to spite the beast or the dragon. 
we shouldn't be cozying up to any of those three powers. We should be identifying ourselves squarely and completely and totally as Seventh-day Adventists who have no affiliation with any of those powers. We have an allegiance to the God of heaven alone. And our marching orders are to give the three angels' messages to the people that are ensnared within those movements. And you know what? God is going to bring secular leftists out of the movement of spiritualism. He's going to bring evangelicals out of the false prophet movement of apostate Protestant America. And he's going to bring people out of the beast power, out of the Roman Catholic Church state power, through the message of the loud cry and through the three angels' messages. That's going to happen even now before the latter rain is poured out. But our best chance of reaching those people is not by joining with them. It's by separating ourselves and showing the world that we have something different to offer. Now, there's a few things that I just want to mention just by way of Christian concern so that all of us are aware of what we're facing. You know, one of the guiding principles of equality, or see, of the French Revolution was equality. Well, that's kind of morphed into a term called equity. And I don't know if, you know, a lot of you are smart people here. All of you are smart people here, excuse me. Uh, yeah, um, um, but, um, and I, I have to be careful what I say, because th th you guys are a special group to talk to. I'm not going to say anything else beyond that. Um, so I don't need to define terms as much as I might elsewhere. But, but there is a difference between equality and equity. Equality means equal opportunity. Equity means equal outcome. And the, the modern leftists have morphed from pushing for equality to equity. Now make this very clear. I believe in equality, and I believe what Martin Luther King Jr. said in his famous speech when he says, I have a dream that someday my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's, a, that's one of the most powerful lines that has ever been articulated in the history of the United States of America. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we should support that, that ideology with every fiber of our being, that every single, because the three angels' messages are for every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So that's right in line with what we believe, that it's not the color of your skin, it's the content of your character. And we, we celebrate the unique differences that different cultures bring to the table, but at the end of the day, we are all one in Christ. Now, equity is something different. And equity pushes for equal outcomes, even if you aren't really equal. And just as in the French Revolution, there was the issue of the oppressed versus the oppressors. The oppressed were the working class, the proletariat. The oppressors were the bourgeois and the nobility. And so the proletariat were the third estate, the bourgeois and the nobility were the first and second estate with the nobility being the first estate and the 
the bourgeois being the second estate, so they were the wealthy. So the nobility and the wealthy, even though they were, they were the minority of society, outvoted the working class in um, the French parliament. And then the king gave a concession to the working class, and so they became the majority automatically because they had the most people, they had the most votes. And as Ellen White says, it's interesting the language she uses in Great Controversy, she says the oppressed became the oppressors because they, weren't, they didn't know how to use wisely the power that had been given to them. We need to be careful in the society that we live in today that we don't cave into philosophy that is coming from spiritualism that pushes for equity rather than equality, that pushes for critical theory and wokeism and things of that nature. That's not any, that has nothing to do with Seventh-day Adventism. Seventh-day Adventism is to take the gospel, the three angels' messages, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. If I were to listen to critical race theory, critical race theory would say, well, you can take the gospel to these people because they're oppressed, but these people over here have been privileged, so just ignore them. They don't deserve to hear it anymore. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we should shun such ideology. We also want to make sure that we do reach out to the oppressed, that we don't ignore those who are downtrodden, but we do so with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with secular humanism that will simply lead to um, bitterness and unhappiness and things that will never lead to the finishing of God's work. So those are the issues within spiritualism that we should be looking out for. It's interesting to see what's happening with the beast power, um, Pope Francis, and some of the agendas that he's pushing with his Laudato Si, pushing for climate change. And he actually has a fairly liberal agenda. It's interesting you contrast him with Pope John Paul II, who had a more conservative agenda. And within the, the false prophet of the apostate Protestant America, and I'm not, really, I'm not saying this to make any political statement, um, because I don't believe that the previous president was the savior of America, but neither do I believe the current president is the savior of America. Um, he just so happens to be the second ever Roman Catholic president that has been elected president of the United States. That's not a political statement. That's just a statement of fact. John F. Kennedy was the first Catholic president. Joe Biden is the second president. And we understand, and I still believe this, because I hear some people saying, oh, it's just going to be the left that does all the final movements. Now look at what they're doing. No. Listen, the religious right is still going to have a very strong hand in the final events of Earth's history. Don't, don't fool yourselves. They're not dead. They're going to come back. And the left is pushing so hard right now, they're overreaching, and there's going to be a backlash. And the religious right here in America is going to... Um, have a say in what happens. So I want to take you back to the sixth plague in Revelation 16. And 
We saw that the river Euphrates dries up in verse 12. We see the three unclean spirits like frogs that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet in verse 13. We see that there's the spirits of devils in verse 14, and they're preparing the people of the earth and the kings of the earth for the, great, the battle of the great day of God Almighty, which is the battle of Armageddon. Now notice verse 15. Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, this is very, very interesting. Because when the, the previous time you see walking naked and your shame being seen and keeping your garments in the book of Revelation is the message to the Laodicean church, which Jesus says, you do not know that you think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich and white raiment that you might be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness be not seen. And now he gives a final warning to Laodicea, and he says, Listen, I have a final warning to you, Laodicea, Seventh-day Adventist, the church of the judgment hour. Laodicea means the judged people. I have a warning for you. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Why does Jesus say this in the sixth plague? Here's why. Because many lukewarm Seventh-day Adventists will not realize that they have received the mark of the beast until the seven last plagues are poured out. And so you're walking around thinking that you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And to be rich in the Bible is to have faith. So you think you have faith. You think you have righteousness by faith. And the final crisis hits and probation closes. And then the plagues begin to be poured out. And then when the three unclean spirits like frogs come out, you, you who are a professed Seventh-day Adventist become exposed for who you really are spiritually when you were able to hide it until probation closed. But when probation closes, the plagues will be poured out upon everybody who has received the mark of the beast. And so Jesus says, when the plagues are poured out and when the three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you have not received his righteousness by faith, the powers of hell will overtake you during the seven last plagues. They will be too strong for you to stop. I always wondered why, and I, when I was writing the book on Revelation, and it's about to come out, that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh. There's going to be a lot of Seventh-day Adventists during the seven last plagues who realized that they didn't watch, they didn't keep their garments, and now the shame of their nakedness, which was hidden because so many in the church were running around with the same shame of nakedness, and so we all thought it was okay, but in the seven last plagues it will be seen for what it is. And what God is saying to us is, listen, watch and keep your garments and stay away from those three unclean spirits. Stay away from the dragon of spiritualism, of modern leftism, and critical race theory, and wokeism, and all that social justice warrior stuff. That's not Seventh-day Adventism. 
Stay away from the beast power. Don't think that just because there is apparent virtue in the Roman Catholic Church state system that it will be okay to uh, ally yourself with that. And stay away from the false prophet of apostate Protestant America. Just because they push for social issues that we can identify with in many ways, they're going to be against us just as much as the beast power and the dragon power at the end. We should be Seventh-day Adventists, watching, keeping our garments, staying connected to Jesus more than we ever have before, so that when the seven last plagues come and Satan throws everything that he has against those who are already under the mark of the beast and those who profess to follow God, we will be found faithful during that final crisis. And that's the challenge that we are facing. So I want to challenge you today, um, at Hope, to be faithful Seventh-day Adventists. Listen, God hasn't called us to be Seventh-day Democrats. God hasn't called us to be Seventh-day Catholics. God hasn't called us to be Seventh-day Evangelicals. God has called us to be Seventh-day Adventists. And we should be staying as far away as we can from the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We should be known for being Seventh-day Adventists who are in love with Jesus and who have His righteousness by faith because we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross and then we can share that to the world around us. And I'm afraid that too many of us are swept aside by the various currents that hit this world. And there's so many different currents that hit. I, I'm just almost, you know, my, I, I feel like I have vertigo sometimes, spiritually, so to speak, because one issue hits and some of my friends side with one party and then another issue hits and then they side with a different party. And I'm like, why are you siding with any of these parties? This isn't our work as Seventh-day Adventists. And every new issue that hits, we have new division lines in the church. And it's like, what happened to us? We should be at the forefront of the crisis now promoting the three angels' messages. And so I just want to challenge you to do so. And may we be faithful to that end. So it's been a great privilege to be back here in Loma Linda. Um, and... Thank you so much for having me back. And may, by God's grace, keep up the work that God has given you to do here in this community. This is a, a special place. There's an important work to do here. And may we all be faithful. Amen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this Sabbath that we've had to reflect on your word and to reflect on the message you've given us for this time. May we be faithful until the end. May we be faithful Seventh-day Adventists, not Seventh-day Democrats, Seventh-day Republicans, Seventh-day Catholics, Seventh-day Evangelicals. May we be none of those. May we be faithful Seventh-day Adventists who follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Thank you so much that you love us and for the truths of Scripture that you've given to us. And may we be found standing with the Lamb someday soon as the 144,000, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.